This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey everyone, before I even start the theme music, I wanted to make sure that I put up a really large content warning on this episode. The book that we're discussing today is almost notorious for its depictions of violence, torture, sexual violence, the prison industrial complex, and racism. We don't go into gory details, but even the broad stroke stuff is really hard. So I completely understand if you take this week off, but I hope you will give it a listen. Thanks again. Greetings, and welcome to a new episode of Buck Boys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. It's graced dozens of high school reading lists over the years and made one really creepy Stanley Kubrick film, and yet I've managed to go 34 years without even knowing what it's about. A Clockwork Orange is one of those books that appeals to you or absolutely doesn't. When it was suggested by my guest today, I was honestly extremely hesitant. But to be honest, I think I really liked it. Joining me today is comedian Luce Tomlin Brenner. How are you today? Uh, I am doing very well. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, we should probably do like a really quick summary, just in case like people haven't read it or seen the movie. I think a lot of people haven't read it. A lot of people have seen the movie, but yeah. I as we'll discuss, it's a totally different. Yeah, it's a completely different beast. It's yeah. completely different. So basically it takes in like the not too distant future. Yeah, I think it's actually supposed to be now times. Yikes! Because <laughs> <laughs> it was written in what the sixties, sixty two, I think. And so it's like the distantish future for nineteen sixty two in this all quote alternative universe, alternative England, mm-hmm. where like go figure, like people are super ultra violent, and that's just like the pastime of teenagers. Yeah, and everybody is really poor and basically works in factories and crime is running yeah. the streets. So, you know, completely different to what we're, <laughs> we're yeah, in not right at all now. The universe we're in. Yeah. And so the main character, Alex, which again, I didn't realize is 15 in the book. Yeah, because Malcolm McDowell plays him in the movie and definitely looks like 20. Yeah, like he's an definitely adult. older. He's, yeah. He, yeah, he's like post puberty, whereas Alex is definitely like a teenager. Yeah. And um, so he just goes around like screwing people and yeah, beating people up, beating people up, a gang of droogs, gang that he hangs with. And then just kind of he volunteers to be cured. Well, yeah. So he he gets arrested because he accidentally murders (laughs) somebody when he breaks into their home. Yeah, He accidentally (laughs) murders a little old lady. Yeah. And then he's in jail for two years. And then there's this experimental program Mm -hmm. that can cure um, violent impulses. Yes. That's a good way of saying it. And then it works. But the whole thing behind it is what is it if somebody doesn't choose to be good? Yeah. And they're just being good because they're being forced to and if you don't have a choice like what are the ethical implications of that exactly 
And so you mentioned that you had read this in high school. Yes. This was, um, my parents are really into film. And this, when I was growing up, they would talk, my dad would talk about A Clockwork Orange as being like one of the most upsetting movies that he ever saw. Yeah. My mom said the same thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, And they would say like they couldn't hear uh, singing in the rain without thinking of like exactly what my mother said too and she goes it's my it was my favorite song or you know my favorite movie and now I can't listen to it because it's basically a scene of sexual assault yeah yeah. and like uh beating yeah beating people (laughs) yeah Yeah. this is like a big like content warning show guys like sometimes you know we we can do things a little bit lighter but a clockwork orange is just heads up there it's gonna be bad no like gory details but like we definitely there's a lot of rape in the book, so yeah. we'll be mentioning it. Yeah. Um, but there, yeah, and so that always stuck with me because as a child, I was always very fascinated by the things you're not supposed to see as of a course. child. Like I was always drawn to the horror video mm-hmm. section because all the covers were so yeah. gruesome and intriguing. Yeah. And like how much they terrified me. I had to know what was Exactly. About. And so when I would hear things like that from my parents, it was just like, God, I can't wait to like. Yeah, I know. See why and this movie I remember so crazy. seeing stills of it when I was a kid, too. And the production design, like all Kubrick films, is just so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And so I was always like really drawn to it. But as Same. soon as I heard that there was like really graphic scenes of sexual assault, I was like, I'm going to save my brain and not engage in this, basically. Yeah. No, that makes sense. What I will say about the movie I think the book's a lot more violent the movie actually uh Kubrick does a good job the whole movie feels very dreamlike gotcha and it's interesting because it was made in the 70s so while it's about this future mm-hmm. all of the design is still very much inspired of yeah. the time and it there's like, like the, the San Francisco International Airport yeah <laughs> yeah 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 exactly there's a lot of psychedelic colors and um kind of like that a loopy bubbly writing gotcha and um long long hair bright blue eyeshadow like and so everything looks like it is of the future while also being very much of the 70s interesting yeah so it's very it's so it's dream-like. tempered by our sort of like modern aesthetics of what violence is supposed to look yeah, like. Yeah, and they don't really, it's very implied. There are a lot of boobs and I think there's some bush in it also, but and. you don't actually see like, it doesn't, it's not the kind, it's not like when you say a rape scene now that you're avoiding in a movie. It's not like Game of Thrones where it's like yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, it's all very like, Whimsical's kind of the a generous word, yeah. but it has like a whimsy to it. Interesting. Where it feels like it's not I get triggered pretty easily for that kind of thing. And then movies never bothered me because gotcha. it feels very unrealistic. Yeah. Um the book, however, it's I was graphic. like very shocked by um the fact that there before he murders an older woman, mm-hmm. he rapes two ten year olds. Yes, he does. And that was not, I had no memory of that. He's very specific about their ages. Yeah. Because even when you're, yes, he's 15, but even when you're 15, like that's a very. That's a noticeable age difference. Like I feel like between like middles, like at late elementary school and high school, like totally different grade is a different maturity point. Yeah. And so for a 15 year old to turn around. Even look at a 10 year old, like not sex, they're children. They are children when you're 15. And so that was extremely jarring and I think one of the things did you read the foreword in your cut from um mm. Anthony Burgess I, who's the writer of A Clockwork Orange I am i don't know if yours has I don't think I have it mine has an an introduction okay. for it and it's 
funny because he he seems pretty insufferable yeah. um, as an author. He talks about how he doesn't really like a clockwork orange, but it's the thing that has stuck around because of the movie. Fuck those guys. Those yeah. guys who are just like, oh, this mansion, my mansion on a hill was built because of this one book, so I resent it. Yes, Screw yes, you. exactly. And he, the way he writes is very... the. The whole, I will say, I think the whole book is very funny. I really like his yeah. writing style a lot. And I, I, when I was reading it again, I was reminded of how much I liked it because the writing is so funny. Yeah. But the whole thing is so cockney. Yes. And it's, I found myself reading in my head in like a yeah. cockney accent. Like, <laughs> truth be told, I had no idea that it's basically written in like another language. Yes. And so I picked it up and I was like, holy shit like it felt very um like jabberwocky like lewis carroll to me definitely and I, I read it almost sing-songy like yes you know like the jabberwocky poem and i'm like this really first of all the hubris to write something in it like made up language in a completely made up language is just out like out of this world levels of like fuckboy mid-century male writer thing to do yeah and yeah like aren't i so interesting yeah i made my own language like no that's usually a sign that you're a little unhinged like <laughs> yeah and so when i was reading it though like it did make it more childish mm-hmm. to me that he was speaking in slang that like adults even in the book didn't understand yeah and it's called nadsat yeah is like the language and uh because it's also teens at that time are called Mad sats mm-hmm. and so it's it's interesting to read it I when I first read it uh did not have the internet so I was yeah. not I was just trying to figure things out by being a smart person yeah, using exactly. context clues yeah like reading <laughs> used yeah. to be like and this time I was like I'm just trying to bang this book out I've yeah. read it a couple times before and I pulled up the like dictionary on Wikipedia yeah, of like what means what yeah because yeah. I was like I just want to know like quickly what this is and then halfway through the book I realized I didn't really need it anymore and it you fall into the world I love the way that the language pulls you into yeah it works phenomenally Mm -hmm. well and I will say I do think that separates um the scenes that are really violent Mm -hmm. it's like in a way it makes it more shocking Mm -hmm. because in this sing-song childlike voice yeah all of a sudden some of these made-up words you realize are very violent words exactly and so then it like shocks you out of mm-hmm. it because you're like, this isn't a big, oh, they're breaking into a house, but yeah. they, but it's, he treats everything like a game. Mm-hmm. So it feels very much like this isn't a big deal. And all of a sudden, especially like when he murders this old women, woman, yeah. but almost the whole sentence is in a different language. It is. So I didn't realize that she was dead for like another chapter. And then I was like, oh, oh my God, shit. the gravity of like the situation. Yeah. That he, it was just fun in games. It was like how most kids would like go to the movies when I was 15 he breaks into houses and because she's like fighting back she he hits her in the head with something and then in the next chapter he goes I guess I did it a little too hard like she's dead now yeah it's very video game aspect of it yeah which is interesting because it's decades before video games and I really I like that a lot because it puts you both in the head of the protagonist because it's all written from Alex, the main character's mm-hmm. perspective. It puts you in his head where you relate to him and you're not trying to. Yeah. Well, the whole time I just kept trying to put space between me and him. Same here. And it works really hard to draw you in, especially like towards um, the end when he's getting his rehabilitation. He starts, once he's in jail, he mm-hmm. starts calling uh, he's, you know, his friends basically like gave him up. Yeah. Um, he's all on his own and his parents kind of disavowed him. Mm-hmm. And he starts calling you his friend. Yeah. 
it switches. Yeah, he starts calling himself like your humble narrator or something mm-hmm. like that. Like he knows he's talking to someone and it really pulls you in that you're like this boy is confiding in you. Yeah. Especially now being much older than he is. And I'm just thinking, you know, it also changes the perspective of I can imagine like when you're you know, in high school and you're the same age as this kid, you're like, why would you be doing it? It's either like enthralling because mm-hmm. it's something that you would never consider doing. It's like knowing the bad kid. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I remember it feeling like. It's like almost titillating. Yeah. I think it's like, um, I think too, at that age, uh, it really made me think a lot about uh, men in our society because I was thinking about how at 17, I didn't know that much about sexual assault. I knew yeah, that it was a terrible here. thing. Yeah. And but I'd mostly seen it in movies and yeah, it felt exactly. very distant. Mm-hmm. Like this is a bad thing that bad people do. Yeah. And so in a book, when I first read it, I was like, this is bad because he's a bad person. Yeah. But it didn't have any deeper emotional. It was the same as him hitting people in the yeah, street. Exactly. Or like kicking a dog or something like that. It's just like this, all the equal. markers of a bad person. Yes, exactly. And uh Reading it this time as an an adult woman, yeah. and then being like ten, yeah, a ten ten a year old girls, yeah, it was so and also sick. for an adult male author to make that age choice. That so when we first brought it up, that's yeah. what I was going to say because he says in the introduction that like you make, uh, yeah. So he says my own healthy inheritance of original sin comes out in this book as I enjoyed raping and ripping by proxy. It's the novelist's oh, innate cowardice that makes him depute to imaginary personalities the sins that he is too cautious to commit himself. Okay, so I've written a couple books. They've never been, they haven't been formally published. I self-published a couple and I'm trying to get another one published now. The thing is, is like my main characters, they don't do bad things because I would never do bad things. <laughs> I want them to be like heroic and smart and charming. Like yeah. if I'm like creating a fiction, like the fictional person that I want to be is just like, you know, a better, a better version person. of even yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Why on earth would you choose t- two 10 year olds? Yeah. Oh, my God. And like as I like the victims of this boy's crime right and like if he he does terrible things throughout so it's i'm not even saying that there shouldn't be rape in the book i think for the story it does serve a purpose um but they couldn't be his age yeah exactly they couldn't couldn't have been classmates of his yeah they had to be that much noticeably younger and it just and then we talk about like the 60s and uh you know what it means to be of that time and Mm -hmm. i try to place it now I try to place it alongside Mad Men yeah, and think about like what we learn from like that mm-hmm. storytelling. And it's just like people, this is a very, this is a very revered author. Yeah. Who was this thought of as like a genius. Taught in schools as though it's just as good as like Huck Finn or the Scarlet Little Letter. Women. Yeah. And Little Women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's so wild to me that it's like, this guy sucks. Yeah. Like, I know. And like, this is an interesting book. And I really like the ethical conundrum within. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of interesting things that can be used today. And I, I would say that I think it's an important book. Yeah, I would too. But I think it's fascinating that this person who wrote it seems to have enjoyed the most disgusting parts of yeah, it. Yeah, I completely agree. And wasn't choosing it to be horrific as much as it was to be titillating yeah which i'm just like well then where do you fall yeah 
in line. Are you this? Are you the state or are you Alex in I this feel book? Like in the 1960s, these kinds of crimes and these kinds of like behavior were written out about to be titillating. Like mm-hmm. if, when you watch Absolutely. like Mindhunter and see how people like reacted to like serial killers and stuff like that. It was always like, he's so like sexy. Isn't it alluring? And mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's not fucking alluring. This is <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. And now, at least in like the late, what? aughts or I guess whatever you call our our, this decade now like we can comprehend that like bad people you don't want to like revere them in Mm -hmm. a lot hopefully well and that like and that rape isn't the same crime as murder and that a lot of very normal regular people yeah rape yeah exactly and I think that that's something that now reading it again I was like very interested in how people and I and this is where I was like Mm -hmm. thinking about like a male mindset where I think what's been really hard during our culture now where people are able to talk about the things that have happened to them and there's been this like very frustrating pushback from straight men Mm -hmm. uh, who've never thought about the issue before because I think that they're grown up with this idea that like raping and murdering are these things that are yeah like only the worst people do them exactly when it's actually a much more commonplace thing yeah, that regular people do in the book of like he skips school one day so what does he do he goes and to like, the record store goes to the record store and picks up to basically small girls in order to assault them yeah and then after he's done and they're like crying he's just like okay bye and leaves late and waves them goodbye like it was a play date yes yeah yeah exactly and I think that that's definitely um that seemed crazy to me then and now I actually felt like it was a more (laughs) realistic part of the book completely agree um and yeah and so I really I I think it's interesting because I feel like there was no shame in him writing this at that time period. And now there's like a lot of shame around that kind of thing in that we are like, this is the worst thing that could happen. Only the worst people would do Mm -hmm. this. And so then we don't talk about like how this is just... It is terrible, yeah. but it is like a commonplace yeah, it thing. Is just, yeah. And we can't like learn to really deal with sexual assault until we try to take the good and the bad out of it yeah. and try to understand it as like this gray yeah. um, issue that good people are capable yeah. of doing these bad things. And it's one of the things I love about this book is that he's presented as the worst person, but then we also know that he's smart mm-hmm. and that he's charming mm-hmm. and that he and makes culture culture like, yeah, loves, loves Mozart and Beethoven music and, mm-hmm. and it's moved to both orgasm and tears while listening to it yeah know? and he's funny yeah like la- I charming. laugh so yeah and it's really interesting to be charmed by a book character mm-hmm. I think when you cannot see anything yeah and you're they just don't like, really describe his physicality at any point. No. Yeah. And it, the amount of times I had to keep being like, he's gross. Yeah, he's disgusting. And like, the amount of times I kept getting drawn back in mm-hmm. and like feeling for him, it was just, it felt so real as to the kinds of things now where you think about uh, the comedians mm-hmm. that are like, oh, yeah, they're so charming. They make us feel so good. They've done these terrible yeah, things. Yeah. And it's like that whirl of charm is it. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was doing my Game of Thrones episode, Mm -hmm. I tried to, like, we tried to talk about, like, the truly reprehensible characters. And that show or that representation in the books, they they draw hard and clear lines Mm -hmm. of, like, this person's a bad person, like, 
you know, they, they're the killer, they're the rapist, they're right. like the people who are going for power. And they really, it is very black and white. Ah, uh, good and evil. Exactly. And then compared to the murderer and the rapist in The Clockwork Orange, where, like you said, like, you're drawn to them. Like, mm-hmm. in the world, this seems like a totally normal and acceptable thing for a fit. Because you're not even presented with 15-year-old kids who do the alternative. No, we don't. Yeah. And all the adults are stodgy morons. Yeah. Like, you get, you're like, oh, God, these are all people who are, like, down on their luck. Mm-hmm. They're drunks. They're corrupt police officers. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody seems yeah. really good. So His parents are completely absentee. Yeah, checked out. Yeah. He's really been sad. Out, like, raping and murdering and then comes home. And then he's like, Mom, where's my dinner? She's like, I left it for you on the table. I'm going to bed. Good night. Like, <laughs> yeah. she doesn't care where her 15-year-old son was. The Mm-mm. dad's already asleep. And they take sleeping pills to sleep through it all. Oh, yeah, it's so that just... he can listen to his music at yeah. whatever volume he wishes. Exactly. <laughs> they just have no comprehension. And, like, modern 15-year-olds would never be written about in that sort of detachment either yeah exactly but that feels a lot more I I think when I was reading it I was like yeah this feels real because I remember thinking that every adult was a fucking idiot when I was that age and so despite him doing the bad things I was like yeah fuck the government and the police and all of these people and like still fuck the police but like (laughs) slightly different reasons different reasons for sure yeah (laughs) actually the same if you think about like in one point like he is apprehended by the police officers and they take him to the outskirts of town and beat the living shit out of him mm-hmm. and it's like oh no okay so it's, it's always the same it's similar so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great that never changes <sighs> i guess there's no getting around the fact that we have to talk about the fact that when it was originally published in america mm-hmm. they left out the last chapter yeah this is the most fascinating part about this book which i, I didn't know until i read like the wikipedia article about the book like after i had finished it oh really yeah oh okay interesting this copy that i have has like the foreword gotcha. in it about it okay um and i had read about it because i had um I, again, I was just so fascinated by it when yeah. I was a teenager. So it was written, It was originally published in Britain. Mm-hmm. And then when it was brought over to America, the last chapter is essentially Alex going through a metamorphosis and deciding he doesn't want to be a terrible person anymore, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, the, the important thing is like the cure. So the cure to his violence yeah. is that they make they force him to watch the most horrific violent yeah. films. Which is interesting that they, when he describes them, he doesn't use slang when he's talking about the violent films. Yes, I noticed that, too. And a and. And that violence was much harder to read. Yeah. I skipped over parts of it that yeah. was talking about um, like torture, yeah. like war crimes and Nazi mm-hmm. crimes and stuff. I was just like, oh, this is stomach turning. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, it's because there is no slang in it. And they, you know, you've probably seen the images. They're really famous, even if you haven't seen the movie of his yeah. eyelids Being um, pulled open. open. And uh, they also play. Um, classical music, yes, and he's been in, given a shot that makes him sick. Mm-hmm. So while he sees these images, they make him sick and essentially just traditional conditioning yeah. until he gets sick anytime he sees or thinks about violence. Yes. And then he's cured to go back into the world. But then at that point, he's not able to defend himself mm-hmm. when things happen to him, and he um, basically can't really live in the world. He's good, yeah. but he's not making the choice to be good. Yeah. 
and uh, eventually like throws himself out a window and almost kills himself. Yeah. And that's when the state realizes that like, like this conditioning program isn't really the solution. Yeah. And, and they, it like, also kind of like knocks something loose in him that he goes back to being a violent person for a little yeah. while after he tries to kill. Uh, yeah. Kill himself. And that's where the that's where the American book ends, ends. is that it's like, you know what? We we they've like deconditioned him. Mm-hmm. He's going back to his violent self. And then. Because that's where the book ends in America, mm-hmm. that's Stanley Kubrick based the whole story exactly. on that. So the A Clockwork Orange, the movie, ends the same way the original American publishing ends with him saying, I'm cured, all right. And yeah. it's this very nihilistic. Yeah, like truly like sinister, snake-like, animalistic response to just like going back to being what your nature is. Yeah. And that's essentially, and the government is like, yes, this yes, is fine. Exactly. And he's like, this is great. And yeah. you know, it's just, yeah, you he's can't a bad hope for person. anything better. Way exactly. Go, America. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. And it's like uh, a hard bummer. And people yeah. were really upset when the movie came out because everywhere else in the world, there's another chapter <laughs> Where after he tries going back to his violent ways, he gets bored by it. And he yeah. runs into one of his old friends who's now married. And has a kid. Yeah. And, and he's he like, goes, wait, that's an option, basically. He didn't realize that at, it was a choice. Exactly. And he's 18 Yeah, at that point. So he's you realize it's like three years of him going back and forth from this like unformed mm-hmm. uh, kind of poisoned brain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to then becoming an adult. Well, the very edges of adulthood. Yeah, exactly. And seeing that he could have a nice life and that it's not so bad and what he kind of viewed as very pathetic and what you were seeing the whole time isn't actually, yeah. it's like can be nice and comforting. Yeah. And then it ends with him realizing that like what he engaged in were like follies of his youth, mm-hmm. putting it mildly yeah, for exactly. sure because I, many teenagers are not like that. Yeah. But I guess it's interesting because like, We're not given teenagers that do the alternative. Mm -hmm. In this world of A Clockwork Orange, like, it seems as though all teenagers are these sort of, like, quote, like, delinquent teenagers. in gangs. Yeah, exactly. And doing drugs, and Mm -hmm. and they have all kinds of fake drugs that are, like, and alcohol. Yeah, exactly, like, drugs because they don't have alcohol, so they drink it in milk. Right. Which is, like, a fantastic visual to think of, like, a whole bunch of kids just, like, drinking drugged milk milk. yeah exactly milk with knives in it which i really liked that description a lot it's brilliant the world that it's built in Mm -hmm. and it makes you feel as though that the things that alex are doing is like actually not that bad Mm -hmm. yeah and it's masterful i agree and but to i can't imagine having to read like i don't believe that every story has to have a happy ending i agree yeah so, but I can't imagine how, like, unfulfilling it would be to just read a book where this character doesn't change. It, I Yeah, I don't think that that's a story. Yeah. Because then it's like, well, what's the point? I guess the fact is that you do need to choose one or the other. Yeah. And that a choice to be evil is better than no choice and being forced to be good. Right. Because, like, who are you? Are you a good person? If yeah. That's the question it asks. If you're a good person because you're being forced to be good, yeah. are is you a good person? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, well, from the state perspective, it's like, well, you're making a better community because you're not committing violence. Right. Well, the most interesting thing that they said in the book was that they are committed to doing this, um, this, you know, treatment in order to make him less violent because the prisons are overcrowded. 
Yes, which is and that's hundred really, percent like, where the we're main at. Reason that they give is mm-hmm. that like we it's just too expensive to keep you know people who are committing crimes in prison. Yes, that's it. Yes, exactly. And it's there's a a part that I really love when when he's still and Alex is in prison and it's right before he's about to leave to be in this new program mm-hmm. and he's talking he has like a pretty good relationship with the uh, prison chaplain. chaplain minister which i love that he called him charlie i know and it took me a little while to figure that I one out no <laughs> <laughs> that's what the book does really well is like very sly references that don't over explain or wink yeah at all um that makes it feel very real also but it's a, a point where uh he says it may not be nice to be good it may be horrible to be good and when i say that to you i realize how self-contradictory it sounds and it goes into like, what does God yeah. want? Does God want goodness or the choice of goodness? Um, and I really, I really loved that idea a lot. And I think that that's something that's applicable to all times, all worlds. Oh, completely. And yeah. since we are facing, uh, I think one of the worst times in um, the yeah, history the of the prison system. Were, yeah. Yeah. Other than like maybe when it was just always forced uh, torture and labor. Yeah, exactly. But I think we're pretty close to that because it's, we are essentially throwing people into a place where they are yeah. uh, raped and beaten and there's yeah. no rehabilitation yeah. and everybody's okay with it because they are. And there's no choice are, of them getting out. Yeah. Like, and because they're bad, quote unquote. Yeah. And the, I believe very deeply in rehabilitation for. Okay. Everybody, yeah. I do. I do know that there are some people who are, you know, either psychotic or sociopathic who maybe don't have that option later yeah. in life. Um, that maybe for the safety they need to be locked up, but I don't think that they should also be raped and yeah, abused. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, I think that's a moral yeah. failing of our society that we've just decided that it's okay that some people hurt because they've hurt people. Yeah, I, and yeah. I really like it's. And I thought about that consistently like without fail while I was reading this book and I really think that this feels realistic like a thing that people would be like yes it would be good if people were just good yeah if they were just just... forced and tortured Mm -hmm. in order to get the outcome that I want Mm -hmm. and it's and I think it's I think it's really interesting that at the end when he's like I don't know I guess this is me now Mm -hmm. but it's like yeah because you're brain is growing and like we have so many and we see this especially with men of color black Mm -hmm. men black children black teenagers who are tried as adults Mm -hmm. for things like holding up a grocery store and it's like do if you kill somebody during a holdup when you're 14 or 15 you did the wrong thing yes that person doesn't deserve to be dead you didn't you should not have taken their life this is a whole family that lost somebody because of your bad choice exactly but just saying that that person is an evil person who then has to be locked away for yeah. life because of anything they did their because, child is ignoring. Yeah, not even a quarter of their life has passed. Exactly. And it's ignoring their whole... Yeah, an ecosystem. Exactly. Yeah. And like what kind of a desperate place you have to be in or yeah. to do something like that, which I think is what's really interesting about this book is we immediately see how desperate the world is yeah. because everybody yeah. is acting Everybody's like this. starving. And it, it says at even some point that like every adult is forced to work and you know until they die until they die mm-hmm. exactly and so this and it's sort of like bleak bleak hopeless future mm-hmm. that yeah. creates these kids where everybody instead of now where it's like we're i think we're slowly shuttling towards that but now we still are able to have these desperate universes of like mm-hmm. the very very rich in their small pockets and the very very poor in their small pockets where in those poor areas are a lot like yeah. the world of this yeah. book 
And and also like having no barometer of what is acceptable or unacceptable forms of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Which is like so ingrained in this book is that Alex takes extreme, if not strange pleasure in classical music or mm-hmm. like what we would probably consider like aberrant pleasure in classical music. Definitely. But he at least finds pleasure in something that's not hurting someone. Whereas all the other teenagers that are in the book, because we're really not given any female teenagers whatsoever. And we're only given only as victims, only as victims. And then we're given like a handful of, you know, male teenagers that we're interacting with, but they all only find pleasure in hurting someone. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't seem as though the adults that are alive have any sort of hobbies or pleasures or anything like that. Exactly. So if all you're reduced to and all you're given access to is, you know, the the most extreme forms of satisfying, you know, your brain urges, mm-hmm. how can you figure out what the barometers are or like the goalposts are for actual appropriate happiness? That's so well put. Really, truly so well put because uh, and even some of the adults make fun of his love for music. Yeah, they do. Also. And so and the way that he combines like we were talking about music and sex. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, there is no these bleed into each other where now where we're sitting, we can be like, well, music's fine, but maybe not the 10 year old children, (laughs) you know, but there it it feels more realistic for that world that that is fine and that the moral good and the moral bad only exists to if you commit crimes you get thrown yeah in jail and that's if you get caught and like half the time they aren't and the police are extremely corrupt yeah and there's no there's no blurred line like there is now yeah it's like no they just also beat people yeah exactly and or they don't give a shit at all yeah but there's no guys to helping the community no none or yeah like there's feels very you know indicative of parts of society that i am very privileged to not be a part of that i can have you know like material pleasures like i have a nice house you know Mm -hmm. i can eat good food i can drink wine because i can afford it and things like that whereas if the only access to pleasure that you have is literally like subsistence where you're like mm-hmm. I am happy because I managed to like steal food today mm-hmm. or I'm thrilled with myself because I hurt a person who was going to hurt me and I got away yeah you know exactly that feels like the world of a clockwork orange and mm-hmm. also parts of society that like we're 100 percent living yeah, in currently exist mm-hmm. that run concurrent to like my very privileged life here in Los Angeles. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you think about um, Alex doesn't have any his parents are disengaged, yeah. as we've talked about. And a lot of people who a lot of kids who grow up committing these types of crime as children yeah. are either for one reason or another if their parent is just working constantly yeah, because they exactly. have to, or they're also in jail or for many systematic oppressive yeah. reasons, they don't have the same kind of parenting that people who aren't committing crimes yeah, in their exactly. teens. And of course there's always like, uh, you know, school shooters who are just yeah, exactly who might've led a life of privilege, but yeah, know. are low key exactly. psychotic so, and sexist and yeah, exactly. racist. But like, that's a, that's a much smaller, um, population than what we see as I was talking about when people young boys of color commit crimes and then are thrown into jail for life and there's this idea that like they've committed the crimes of men where it's like no no it's a baby it's a child exactly one thing that happened during this that actually like I found myself like mentally grappling with 
was when Alex is finally arrested, basically he's com- he's done all of these terrible things that mm-hmm. I'm, I am an adult and I know that they are terrible. Mm-hmm. And then his he essentially has a parole officer mm-hmm. who comes to see him after he's been arrested and the parole officer spits in his face. Yeah. And Alex is just, he's hurt mm-hmm. that this man that had been trying to make him better, quote, better and failed but like spits in his face and basically says like i've given up on you throw him in jail yeah society has given up on you there's nothing anyone can do for you but when you're like this is a 15 year old Mm -hmm. that's crazy because when you meet him earlier on before alex is even in jail he's disengaged yeah and he's just like, are you going to be good or not? Yeah. He's not giving him any type of, there's no role model. Nope, there's no constructive action to do, you know, like stepping stones to build yourself up to be a, you know, quote, like productive member of society. Like, right. it's just simply like turn on, turn off. Mm-hmm. And then if he doesn't choose correctly with no skills or no building blocks or no tools, yeah. he gets his face spat in. Yeah. And I it, that just felt very... Uh, felt very realistic yeah. because there's just certain people that I think our society gives up on Yeah, because if you can't, if you have had the privilege of um, parents Mm -hmm. and people modeling behaviors for you, living in a neighborhood where you're Mm -hmm. safe. And given the structure in order to be, you know, like Yeah, seeing that path forward. Yeah. Then you, of course, are like, well, I made the choice to be good, Mm -hmm. but it's like nobody- grow up a white girl in suburban Connecticut. I yeah. really only had so many choices. Yeah, like you, know? could, you could have gone nuts, right? Yeah. Like you could have just decided to be like a total outlaw and yeah, like exactly. rob a bank because people can make but that the choice. But was like, there to prop me up every single step of the way. Exactly. And you probably had parents that like if you slipped up, they were going to be on oh, you absolutely. and be like, listen, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to turn this around there for you. There was no being late for curfew or like if oh. I ever wanted to go out again. Like it was Exactly. Just... Oh, I was grounded for entire semesters of yeah, school exactly. if I came home 20 or 15 minutes late. Yeah. yeah. So there was just like, um, and that in a way is a privilege to have somebody caring Care about, about where you. you are yeah. and being like, and my parents were like, we're not going to help you with college. Yeah. And I wanted to go to college because that was modeled for me. Exactly. And I was like, oh, I'll get to have a better life yeah. if I'm in college. The ha, concept but, of a future mm-hmm. is a privilege in and of itself. Absolutely. And there's no future in a clockwork orange. None. And there's no, I think it's hard for many children across our country to see what the future is, especially in a society now where all of our, so many of our jobs are becoming automated. Yeah. And you have to have a lot of money to yeah. get into certain programs to even learn about things. Like, how are you going to become a programmer? Exactly. If like, you- can't afford to go to like even you're not going to get anywhere with a community college degree with a lot of different degrees. Yeah, you know? and in many states in the country too. Like yeah. if you're just like in South Dakota, yeah, like exactly. leaving South Dakota is it was hard to leave Ohio. Yeah, I know. Like I was in the middle, not in the middle of nowhere, but like the dream. I'd always dreamed of moving to LA, and it felt impossible. Yeah, it felt like completely outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and then to even think about how a Clockwork Orange, like you mentioned. It takes place in the span of like three years, which is very crazy. It's very short. Yeah, it's 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 mind-boggling to think of the difference between being fifteen and eighteen. But it is a huge difference. It is. Yeah. yeah. Like I mean, not you that do... I'm in my thirties. Three years is like a sneeze. It doesn't yeah. really matter. But like, yeah. But even think about like eighteen to twenty-three. Like, yeah. going into college, graduating from mm-hmm. college, and all like... the rights and responsibilities that you're allowed to have. Mm-hmm. And so when I was first starting like reading this I was like I can't see myself empathizing with Alex at all like all I had known was that like essentially he's a rapist and a murderer and Mm -hmm. that's what the book is about and then to see the pressures 
on him change him over the course of three years yeah i was like oh he's not just like this glorified villain character mm-hmm. he's a, f- a frankly he's a fuck boy who's trying to change yeah <laughs> And most of I the love time that. in previous episodes, like we had said, like, you can't really. Like, yeah. You know, once a fuck boy, always a fuck boy. Once a fuck boy, always a fuck boy. And it's hard to, you know, contextualize someone who's a rapist and a murderer as mm-hmm. just like something as lighthearted as using the word fuck boy. Yeah. But I think he honestly is because mm-hmm. the the magnitude and the gravity of those behaviors are diminished in this you know, universe that he's set in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that while he has nothing He's able to go through, he does terrible things. He's able to go through those, ter- he's able to go through terrible things that are done to him. Mm-hmm. And then he's able to compare those things, look ahead and build an idea for a future for himself with yeah. nothing around him yeah. modeling or showing the way except for running into his friend. Yeah. And the same way. Which I think is astounding in a book that doesn't have any characters of massive privilege. Yeah. It's something that you can only draw in from like your own real life experiences because everybody in A Clockwork Orange is poor and lost. Yeah. And And even the government doesn't seem that bougie. Yeah. I know. (laughs) It It seems like, you know, quite frankly, modern American government where it's like their only concern is the bottom line. Yeah, bureaucratic. Yeah, exactly. And doing the right paperwork. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's strange that like, I think it's fantastic, rather, that you can read this as a person who's from like middle class upbringing and see just like the world of the poor and lost and essentially hopeless and be able to compare it to you know the people who have nothing but bright futures but are Mm -hmm. also like they don't have empathy or sympathy or normal human what we would consider normal human reactions to suffering. yeah absolutely because you what you think about somebody like that like what if um you know alex had nothing but um money and a home and stuff to go back to would he have made yeah like what if betsy devos was his mom yeah would he have been a a different better person who didn't commit these crimes i don't think so and i also think that there there wouldn't have even needed to be a cure because Mm -hmm. he could have just kept being yeah awful and that would have been the protection so without even having his brain tinkered with it's tinkered with through privilege yeah um and it's interesting how little how little having choice um i think they're we make it like, well, I did this, so you can do it. The pull yourself up by the bootstraps, flawed mentality yeah. of our American society is like, I think the more critically you look at us systems of oppression and wealth that you see how little choice people have day to day. It's like really just trying to get by. Yeah. And I think the book does like a really incredible it's... job of being like, yeah, he definitely made choices to beat the shit out of old people yeah. that did not deserve it. Exactly. He but made then, some of the most reprehensible choices that a human being can make. Can make. But then you realize that everybody's kind of doing that. Yeah. And like he, the mom and his mom and dad talk about never going out, leaving the house mm-hmm. after work yeah. because they can't be on the streets because of gangs of boys exactly. roaming. And it's like, oh, he's doing what everybody is doing. And like, this is the world. So then to like come from that world and actively make the choice that like, oh, I don't have to be yeah. like that anymore. And like one of his former droogs, just he runs into him like at a bar essentially and says like, you know, by the way, this is an option. Of just like having, you know, getting married, which, you know, it's a very 1960s, mid-century sure. concept of a good life. Yeah, you a know, wife getting, and a child. Exactly. And having like a good job and things like that. And these are white characters yes. also. Yeah. I 
I mean, we don't know, I, I guess. Yeah, it never specifically true. says. I think I'm basing it on the movie and in, in the I movie where everyone is white. But I think we can make the assumption that a white man in the 1960s in Britain is not writing about people who are different from him. Yeah, you know? I think that was my assumption yeah. of it. And then based in like the film, I don't think has any people yeah, of color exactly. in it. Which, you know, I'm not sure if I would want to see a representation of Alex as a boy of color, because I think that that would make assumptions about people of co- It would be a commentary about people of color and yeah. not, you know, we just kind of get into like the white d- is default. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but I think we are not past representations of like if you made Alex black it would be about black people yeah no I agree whereas I do think his members of his gang could be though yeah exactly which you know I mean this is going back to like the movie but how interesting that I don't in think the we wildest can discuss things that have been turned into movies like separate yeah I know because it's they're woven together especially because I think more people have seen the movie yeah. um he was up for a best picture nomination yeah. Yeah. yeah, it lost to The French Connection, oh, I believe. interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, yeah. that's it. I think it's important. Um, but how crazy is it that in the wildest future, where anything is possible, mm-hmm. everyone's still white? Yeah. Like, that you can't even in the 60s, you can't even no. conceive of, no. like, a future where... There would be more different types of people. It's strange that like in the 60s when people are first starting to talk about like the equality amongst like black and white people. Mm -hmm. And in Britain, you also have, you know, like Indian people or, you know, things like that. Right. Their history of colonialism. Um, Like even in a world where the best you can hope for is to be a petty criminal that doesn't get caught. (laughs) Like my people who are not white can't even be included in that narrative. Yeah. Whereas, like, you're not even as good of criminals as white boys. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's exactly. Dripping. Yeah. Just by the omission, it makes it more racist than you would expect it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just like, what is this world that you live in? Yeah. It's like, it's just like, you know, girls and sex in the city not having yeah. any. We're in New York and yeah, there aren't exactly. any people of color. Well, and it's funny, too, because, like, a lot of this is going to probably go way off topic, but what the hell? Like, you know how white supremacists on Twitter, they make like drinking milk, like an aspect of like white supremacy because like, a l- you really? don't know about this? I oh did not okay. know about this. Or maybe I've been exposed to super weird bowels of the internet. Uh, well, but, like, I mean, I have, but I try to avoid like, some of a, the Nazis. <laughs> the rhetoric is, and I do not believe this, obviously I'm not a terrible person, but like, <laughs> Apparently, their excuse is is that like only people of European descent maintain the enzyme to digest milk. So if you are not of European descent, you're more likely to be lactose intolerant. So drinking milk is literally a sign for these psychos of oh being. My God. I'm like of, tearing my skin off of I'm my so face sorry right now. I'm <laughs> bringing this to your attention, but like they literally use like drinking milk as a sign of being like. Uh, you know, like racially superior. It's, it's just like it's crazy how good they are at writing satire and remaining humorless. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I just can't. Like what a great SNL sketch that would have been. Right. You and then to like start this, where you have like a bunch of white delinquents sitting in a milk bar, literally drinking milk. Yeah. And I'm just like fuck you, people. You literally are trying to make a Clockwork Orange like 
reality. Well, and I think I was talking um, to my partner about this. I think A Clockwork Orange falls into the same unfortunate fate that um, Fight Club falls into mm-hmm. and many other books, but for some reason yeah, those that's two the stick one out. that stick out. Or like The Rules of Attraction or American Psycho. Oh, absolutely. Men and shitty men are the loudest population yeah, group. In the world. Yeah. yeah. Then we see these and we're like, ugh, gross, Fight Club. Ugh, yeah. Clockwork Orange, such fucking dumb. And it's like, they're not dumb. Like, no. Fight Club is an incredible anti-capitalist story yeah. about blowing up credit card buildings exactly. and freeing yourself from consumerism yeah. like and toxic masculinity. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. brilliant. But people are like, ew, boys fighting. Yeah. And it's like, it's making fun of that. Yeah. But it's it's so hard that um, it's it's so sad to see the worst parts of our society glom onto really interesting works of literature yeah. um, because they relate to the worst parts of it. And it's like, how do you write about something that's bad and not appeal yeah. to bad people? Yeah. And, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know because it's you're right. It's just absolutely heartbreaking to watch people not see the next sentence, mm-hmm. you know, where maybe when this was published, yeah, I know when it was published, they didn't have the redemption arc, which admittedly is a little fast. It could have been like drawn out a little bit more and more meaningful. I think the end is like, it felt like he was done with writing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We ever read a book where you're just like, oh, they got tired. Mm-hmm. Because there is, a, the violence takes up the full part one. Yes. And then more violence in part two because during his torture. cure. Yeah. And then part three is like two chapters. Yeah. Two or and three it's chapters. just like, and I met my friend and he said he had a baby and that sounded nice. So, okay. Like, <laughs> That's me know? now. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's a little bit unbelievable. It's a little bit uncanny with how quickly that Alex flips the switch. But he does. But he does. And I do think that's the point of the story. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, Yeah. It's it's a meaningless book without the switch flip. Which is what's fucking crazy to me that the movie is the story. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I will say that the movie is very, it's, it is nihilistic, but it's very funny. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes it, I, my critical view of it when I watch it is that it makes it feel like the flaw of the state and that the government is flawed and it's like the fucking man is tinkering with people and then can't even do that right and doesn't really care which was totally the 1970s zeitgeist of filmmaking it's just like it's always the man that's wrong Mm -hmm. and the fault is never within like a singular person which is true yeah it's like the systematic like forces around us have more to do with the way people act than like oh absolutely choices but it's hard because a lot of like 1970s media kind of glosses over the hopeful redemption arc like Alex makes where he's just like, but I can choose to work outside the system. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? he do- that's so yeah, he does make the choice to be outside of the system, which is interesting that having a wife and child in the world of a clockwork orange is outside of the that's system. That's a really good point. Yeah, but it does seem almost rebellious to for, be happy, to be happy, to choose to want something. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think hey. that's beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely. Like, it's a really, technically, it's a very positive story. Yeah, as long as you can stomach the fact that Burgess puts in some really, truly, like, reprehensible heinous. and heinous scenes. Un- unnecessary. I completely agree. I think that, like, there, there is a scene where he, when he breaks into the house and, like, rapes the wife and beats mm-hmm. up the writer. Yeah. That is in the, um... It's in the movie, but you don't really, it's just very 
artful and weird. Yeah. I don't think it's like very clear what's happening. Yeah. Everyone's wearing crazy costumes. Yeah. It's it's a strange kind of the whole movie sort of a fever dream vibe to it. Gotcha. I don't think it's as upsetting as it was for our parents because they had seen so much less. Right. It's not at all like Game of Thrones. Like, I can't right. watch Game of Thrones. No, it's, like it's too much. Too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's of the time in that like The Exorcist isn't the scariest movie anymore. No, it's you, not. you know, and it's I like, laughed the entire time that I watched yeah, it. Yeah, like there's a couple parts that like surprise. Like when she goes down the stairs, I was like, ew, like that's gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's parts that are surprising, but it didn't like tear my world apart no, the way I like Hereditary did. It. You know what I mean? Like people reportedly did when yeah. they saw it in the movie theater. So I think like the the like the boomer perspective around the movie isn't um fresh anymore right it totally makes sense yeah but like i don't think most women would have a general problem necessarily if this interests you at all i guess i'm saying that like it's it's very over the top yeah it's almost like camp oh my gosh it's just an incredibly interesting book that i was not expecting to actually like love as much as oh, I did. Oh good. I'm so glad you loved it. Yeah. Because uh, I felt I felt kind of bad when I was reading it again because we are only friends online yeah, exactly. until today. And I was like, oh no, I ruined a relationship that barely no. started. <laughs> no, but it also makes me really wonder about like Anthony Burgess for me is one of I am not someone who's like you have to separate the art from the artist. I can't do that. As Same. soon as I find out that someone's truly fucking terrible, mm-hmm. I don't have to consume their work anymore. Uh, yeah, I feel the same. And so I'm kind of at a point where it's like Anthony Burgess is like, oh, yeah, of course I fantasized about like raping women and murdering them. And I'm like, wish you hadn't said that, buddy, because like now I don't know how I feel about the book, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I think your story is fantastic. Yeah. But him talking about having like, oh, I get to put like all of my fantas- my like violent fantasies into a novel. I'm like, I'm going to take a step back from this. Yeah, because- I don't want to know that about yeah. anybody. I think, I mean, I think if when you're just thinking, it's just thoughts and lots of people have thoughts and I don't want to know about them. Yeah, That's exactly. the thing. There's things I want to just stay private and yeah. like maybe you have really fucked up thoughts, but you're a lovely person in all other ways. Great. Perfectly I would just fine. love to not know that because that makes yeah. me scared of yeah, you then. Don't act on them. Like, and especially if you have the ultimate privilege of being a writer or someone who's creative who can make a world Mm -hmm. and say like this truly terrible thing happens don't tell me that you're the one who wants to do it yes because then it's like well I don't think that you're creative anymore I think that you're like a psycho who's barely holding on to living within society yeah and maybe I shouldn't give you more wealth and power by buying your book or because it'll make it easier for you to enact that fantasy in reality yeah exactly (laughs) it's like if I can that's like the main reason actually like why I'm not someone who was like I love Woody Allen movies I'm gonna go pit no no he's a fucking monster and he got away with it because he's a fucking millionaire yeah exactly and like money is only going to continue to hide him yeah and it actually goes right back to the entire conversation that we were having of like (laughs) yeah the more money and power that people are given the less choice you have to be good yeah exactly you get to go into like your deepest darkest like gross brain spaces and you think that it's acceptable to do it because it was acceptable for a character to do it and Mm. no if it's on the page I will accept someone acting like that I will not accept someone acting like that in real life no absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and it's a shame too because I don't know I don't think this book could be written now I think it was like I don't think it could either it's like very much of um the 60s and of like the working class like 
British society yeah. that like things are a little more like that here now, but like that was, uh, British yeah. society is like very different. Yeah, because it is time. more of a caste system mm-hmm. than America probably will let itself admit. Yes. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think the more, the less intellectual thoughts around sexual assault mm-hmm. and like, I think allowed it to go darker places than maybe writing would now. And I think the fact that he's able to be so uh, weird in the writing, like now I don't think a writer can make up a language and people would take it. No, I hope not. I think everyone would be like, come on, on. buddy. Yeah, Tolkien did that. We don't have to go back We don't have to do it again. Yeah, Yeah, and so I love that that we have it because it's so fascinating. And like we started the podcast talking, I love the push and pull you have to do as the reader to be like, I want to create distance. And the book is like, no distance, no distance. Exactly. And I think think that it's brilliant. Yeah. I think that this is a very good book. And the fact that he doesn't like it makes me not like him even more. Because I'm like, no, dude, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. On that note, why don't we start to wrap things up? Okay, great. <laughs> how can people keep in touch with you? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm very active on our mod- modern literary social media page, Twitter. Yes. Um, so you can find me on all social media as LTB Comedy. That's my initials, Luce Tomlin Brenner. LTB Comedy on all of the things. Wonderful. And then I have a short uh, horror comedy out right now called Messed Up that's doing the festival thing. Awesome. And so hopefully you can see that at a horror festival That'll sometime. Be fantastic. <laughs> and as always, you can keep in touch with Fuckboys of Literature on Twitter and Instagram at Fuckboys of Lit. That's B O I S, or at fuckboysoflit.com. We love getting your feedback, so please do rate and review wherever you tune in. We'll be back next week with a whole new guest and story. I'm Emily Edwards, and I'll see you next time. Crazy how good they are at writing satire and remaining humorless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like...